0: Jesus, when Jesus had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for this time that we're sharing together. This morning, we give you thanks for the lives of these graduates. We give you thanks for the ways that you're going to use these graduates to change this world around us. God, we always give you thanks when we can spend time in sacred worship, experiencing the power and the presence of the living Christ. We thank you for your word, God. We pray that we'll be attentive to your word, and we will allow your word to form us, reform us and transform us so that we can live as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. In his name we pray. Amen. The disciples had been obviously on an emotional roller coaster for over 40 days at this point. There they were in Jerusalem with their master teacher, And then their master teacher was arrested. They saw him tortured and tormented. They saw him crucified. And they thought all their hopes and their dreams were gone. But then he came back. Not just an empty tomb, but they experienced the living Jesus. He came back from the dead. And according to the gospel story, for 40 days, Jesus lived among his disciples And he taught them about the kingdom of God. For 40 days post-resurrection, he fellowshiped with them and taught them what they needed to teach the rest of us. And then there was this day. Then there was that day, the day of the ascension. I'm sure that the day of the ascension was a day of mixed emotions for the disciples. There they were on the Mount of Olives, almost to Bethany and they saw Jesus raised from their sight, they saw Jesus raised into heaven, and in some ways they were saying goodbye to Jesus again, but in just a few days, 10 days after ascension, Jesus would return again to those early Christians, but this time he would return in the power of his spirit to those early Christians. We'll talk about Pentecost next week. I do hope that you wear red next week as we witness to the world around us about the power of Pentecost. So they had been on quite a journey and there they were watching Jesus raised up. Watching Jesus raised up to the right hand of the Father, the place of authority. And today here we are still living in the power of the Spirit, still living in the Pentecostal gift, still remembering that for us it was a package deal, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. That is to be completed, that is completed with a Pentecostal gift of the Spirit to his people. So we need to look today at the the event of the ascension, And most of us have noticed for centuries now that Christians tend to overlook almost the story of the ascension, the power of the ascension. One of the reasons for that is the ascension of Jesus occurred, according to Luke, 40 days after Easter. Well, that means it happens for us on a Thursday. And it's really hard to get Methodists back to church on Thursdays. So we tend to almost ignore Ascension Day, but we can talk about it today. What does the ascension of Jesus Christ mean for our living? It means basically, simply, and eternally that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the earliest, earliest confession of faith in the Christian community was simply Jesus is Lord. And we can only say that and mean that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord. We as Christians, we are those people who realize that now, in the here and now, Jesus is Lord. When we say that the ascension shows us, displays for us that Jesus is Lord, what we also mean by that. Is that whether people accept it or not, whether people receive him as Lord or not, he is Lord. That's an objective historical fact. He is sitting on the right hand of the Father. That's the place of authority. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning today. And as Christians, we are those people who recognize his lordship now. We are those people who are allowing him to be Lord of our lives here and now. There will come a time, there will come a time when Jesus will return. You heard it in the text for this morning. When Jesus will return and he will then rule, not just in the hearts of believers, not just in the lives of believers, but he then will rule over all creation. That's when the kingdoms of this world, all the many kingdoms of this world, will become the kingdom of our God and his Christ. But we live in advance of that day. We live as those people in the here and now who proclaim with our lips and with our lives that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what the ascension teaches. That's what we profess when we worship. So what does it mean for us to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm gonna speak directly to these high school graduates this morning, but I invite the rest of you to listen in. Perhaps this will benefit all of us. What does it mean to say that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, when they said that in the ancient world, when they proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord, they were also proclaiming that Caesar was not. And no other other powers or principalities in this world could become Lord in their lives. So when they proclaimed that Jesus Christ was Lord, they did it sometimes at the risk of their very lives because Caesars in this world do not like to share lordship with anyone else, even Jesus Christ. So what does it mean when you and I profess that Jesus is Lord? If that is the central, defining, organizing principle in our life, as it is, should be, in the Christian faith, what does it mean for us to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Lord, And you notice the text, the confession, the profession is Jesus is Lord. It's not that Jesus was Lord back in history. It's not that Jesus will be Lord one day in history to come. But Jesus is Lord in the here and now. Jesus is Lord. And we are those people who adjust our lives accordingly because Jesus is the ascended Lord sitting at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning in our hearts and seeking to rule and reign in this world through us. That's what it means to say Jesus Christ is Lord. If we profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, obviously that means, graduates, that we need to be passionate, passionate about yielding our lives to him and we know that he can do so much more with our lives than we could ever do with our lives we need to yield our lives to him as Christians we know that it's a basic core teaching of the Christian faith that all of us are born into this world in a state of rebellion against God that's the human condition that's our family trait with Adam and Eve. We're born in rebellion against God, so what we have to do in this world is to make the decision to lay down our armaments of rebellion. And usually that's our stubborn, stubborn wills. We need to lay down our armaments of rebellion and receive Him as Lord of our life and seek to dethrone ourselves or anyone else or anything else as Lord of our lives. So if we profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we, we can't just add a little bit of the Christian faith to our already overscheduled, busy lives. We've got to make our Christian faith central to our living, and our Christian faith has to impact and influence everything else that we do. We need to make sure that all of our living is living unto the Lord and living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to always remember, graduates, that whoever we are, whoever we are in secret, that is who we are. And we need to make sure that every area of our lives, not just a religious department of our lives, not just the Sunday morning on our schedule, but we need to make sure that every area of our life is yielded, to Jesus Christ. We center our work life on Jesus. We center our family life on Jesus. Perhaps you can help the rest of us learn how to do that as you live as a faithful disciple. We center our entertainment life on Jesus. I remember the famous book by Neil Postman that was entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death. That was his picture of our culture. We center our entertainment life on Jesus. We center our social lives on Jesus. Sadly, there's not hardly a day that, or at least a week that passes, that I don't see someone that has socialized themselves out of a marriage. They've even sometimes socialized themselves to to death. We need to make sure that he is the center of every area of our lives. And then we'll be able to show the world around us what it means to live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christ follower. We need to remind ourselves on an ongoing basis to help us passionately give our lives to Jesus throughout all of our living. We need to remind ourselves on an ongoing basis that if we have not made him Lord of all of our lives, Perhaps we haven't made him Lord at all. We give him our sins, he's our savior. We give him our sins, we receive forgiveness, but we don't want to stop there. We want to give him our lives as we invite him to really be the Lord of our lives against all other pretend lords in this world. The process of Christian growth And I'm so grateful for the ways that you have talked about how this church has influenced your life. I'm grateful that you say this church has given you a solid, firm foundation. And you recall the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. So I'm grateful for that foundation. But we have to build on that foundation every day of our living. The process of Christian growth is simply turning more And more and more of our lives over to him. Turning more and more and more of our hearts over to him. Not just a religious department of our living. Not just a religious room in our hearts. But we seek to give all of our lives to him. If we proclaim him as Lord, we should be desperate about giving him our lives. And he really can do. A whole lot more with our lives than we can we also need to remember if we're professing him as Lord and this is really important for you as you enter your next stage of life if we profess him as Lord we we don't have to be afraid of life he will make life if we allow him in our lives to do so he will make life a great adventure you're always on the edge of adventure. You're always walking into adventure. That's what, mean, that's what it means to live the Christian life. We, we redefine living, and it becomes a great adventure of faith. It becomes seeking who Jesus Christ is calling us to be for the sake of the other people in our lives. So we don't have to be afraid of life. None of us really know what our future is. We always have some anxiety over our future. The future is, to a great extent, an unknown. None of us really sometimes even know exactly what we'll face tomorrow, but we can face it fearlessly. We can face it faithfully. One of my heroes in the Christian faith, and you've heard me mention her before, Corrie Ten Boom, that great Dutch Christian woman who spent time in the Ravensbrook concentration camp, and as a result of her life, as a result of her suffering, as a result of her witness, we are still being blessed by the ministry. She's been with the Lord now for many years, but we're still blessed by, by her ministry. One of my favorite quotations comes from Corey Ten Boom, who one time said, "'God does not have problems, only plans. "'Never be afraid. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to our known God. We really don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And if we will go into that future hand in hand with him, the future can be amazing regardless of where the paths of life take us. We don't need to be intimidated by living. I think sometimes, graduates, I see people as they get older, They become more and more easily intimidated by life and the challenges of life. You need to remember that you and God, you've got this. You can claim for yourself, Philippians 4.13, and you can declare to the world, I can do all things, all things he calls us to do, by the way. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I hope you know him, I hope you know the one that strengthens you. So we can march bravely into the future, please be brave. Our culture today needs brave Christians. I, I know that you probably will, but I continue to encourage you to march to the beat of a different drummer. Allow Jesus to be that drummer who sets your march. Into life. Don't let your friends or your family even determine what you think or what choices you make unless they're in alignment with what Jesus Christ wants for you and for your life. Be brave enough to take the road less traveled because that's always the road of faith, it's the road less traveled. Don't just mindlessly follow the crowd be willing to step out from the crowd and at times even leave the crowd lead the crowd with a brave brave Christian faith that's willing to stand up don't let your sociology define your theology and theology is is simply thinking about God a word about God our theology and we all have a theology we all are impacted by our theology But again, don't let your sociology or your social agenda or what the culture wants from you or what the culture doesn't want from you, don't let any other human being impact your theology. Let your theology, what you know about God, impact the rest of your living. Much of life is just simply keeping the right priorities, keeping our loves, appropriately ordered. We have a lot of passions in life. We have a lot of loves in life, and that's fine, but we have to keep them in proper order. We've been saying this for over 2,000 years in the Christian faith, and we're still encouraging one another with these words, put your passions and your loves in the appropriate order, and then you'll find the great adventure of life that's planned for you in Jesus Christ. And lastly, And you need to pay particularly close attention to how I say this. Lastly, we don't have to be afraid of death if we really allow him to be Lord of our life. We don't have to be afraid of death. It becomes but a portal to the other side. But make sure you hear this because I understand well that we're in a culture filled with despair, filled with hopelessness. Before Billy Graham died, he was asked one time what was the topic he was most asked to preach on. And he said, loneliness. I understand this world in which we live, and I understand why this world in which we live is um, being terribly plagued by suicides. And of course, even though God may want me to live and die an old man in my 90s, warm in my bed... That may be God's will for me I know that as always in all of life I can circumvent God's will for me I can make choices that will prevent me from living and embracing God's will I can make choices that can even end my life tomorrow and that's circumventing the will of God so as People who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, we can live bravely in life, we can live audaciously in life, we know who holds the future, so that when He, when He calls us home, it's not our decision, it's His, when He calls us home, we can leave this world with a minimal amount of regrets, we can leave this world in such a way that we'll hear Him on the other side Say, well done, good and faithful servant. Last Ascension Sunday, last year, last Ascension Sunday, I, I spoke to you about Timothy Keller, one of the greatest Christian authors of our age. I've been so impacted by Timothy Keller, as I as has so many other people. Uh, probably the book of his that I value the most is his book entitled The The lesson, the reason for God, belief in an age of skepticism. I commend that book to you. I commend everything Timothy Keller has written to you. He'll help you sanctify your mind for Jesus Christ. He'll help you think like a Christian. He'll help you develop a worldview that is a Christian worldview. Last year, I mentioned Timothy Keller to you, and I told you how he was suffering, battling through stage four pancreatic cancer. And I gave you a quotation from Tim Keller uh, that pertains to Ascension Sunday. And you may remember this quotation. What Tim Keller wrote one time is this, Jesus Christ controls all things for the church. And again, the church is just you and me. Church are the people. Jesus Christ controls all things for the church and therefore you can face the world you can face the world with peace in your heart he Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God as the executive director of history directing everything for the benefit of the church if you belong to him then everything that happens ultimately happens for you. And Timothy Keller also went on to write, all death can now do to Christians is to make their their lives infinitely better. This past Friday, Tim Keller went to be with the Lord on the other side of glory. Great, great, great loss for the Christian community here in this world, but a great, great gain for Timothy Keller. He died in his home on Friday morning. Hospice was taking care of him. He was surrounded by his family. His last words to his family were, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Claim him, proclaim him Lord of your life. And allow that to impact every area of your living. Don't just create a religious department that you can fit into your busy schedule. Allow that profession declaration to impact every area of your living. Your life, as you know, is God's gift to you. What you do with your life, or I guess what I should say is what you allow God to do with your life, is God's gift to the people around you, God's gift to the world. Would you pray with me? God, we speak your word of truth over these graduates. We pray that we will live as people of truth and grace, that we will show complete and unconditional kindness to everyone we encounter, but stand true for whatever it is you have revealed to us about your will, about your way. May we allow you to influence us more than the world around us. May we dare to be brave and bold in following you. Take our hearts, make them completely yours. Rule and reign in our lives forever. Amen.